Welcome to the 1110 Leadership Podcast, where we tackle issues at the intersection of leadership, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Rob Shields, Vice President of Strategy at 1110 Leadership, and I'm joined by my co-host, founder and CEO of 1110 Leadership, David Spicker. Proverbs 1110 lays out a bold and countercultural vision. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. We're here to ask, what does it look like practically to be this type of leader? Leaders willing to invest everything they have so that everyone around them can thrive. Join us on the journey as we lean in, listen, and learn how to become Proverbs 1110 kind of leaders. The kind of leaders that make our cities rejoice. David, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Rob. How are you today? I'm doing well. Is it? Do we wish each other a happy pre-Thanksgiving? Is that? Is it too soon? No, it's not too soon. No. In fact, in our house, we have pre-Thanksgiving. That's right. That's right. How long has this tradition been happening, pre-Thanksgiving? <laughs> I don't know. It's been, it's been a while. We have a pre-Thanksgiving Thanksgiving meal because we are with my wife's family typically every Thanksgiving with a lot, a lot of people. And sometimes, you know, you can miss really savoring the meal with all the chaos going on. So same thing happened at my wedding. So yeah. Although we, we love it. We absolutely love it. <laughs> and therefore we do a pre Thanksgiving meal a few weeks before to make sure we really savor all of the the tastes. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I love that. I'm I'm eagerly waiting for my invitation to arrive. You know, there's not many days left for, for pre Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, you have to you know, there's certain things you have to do to qualify to be a part of the pre Thanksgiving meal. I don't know if you can make <sighs> wow. it in. Wow. Well, send me the list and I'll do what I have to do to get there, man. It's a very high bar. Okay. This is, I'm reading the subtext here. That's fine. That's fine. It's, Um, it's, it's an area where I'm, I'm showing I'm not very just. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm excited about today's conversation. You know, we, we spent time on this journey around unpacking the principles of your book First of all, by rolling out the the four qualities that you spend time on, kind of chapter by chapter in, in the Just Leader, and since then we've been really popping over the hood and kind of doing a deep dive on some specific topics that not necessarily that your book doesn't address, but I think your book kind of sets up really well for things like how do we think about our money, how do we think about our networks, and now I think that really is a very natural, especially considering the season that we're entering into, the holiday season of what does it look like to be just in our philanthropy? I'm excited about this conversation, this intersection of philanthropy and justice, and I think our listeners will be too. So David, I'll cue you up with this question. How has your experience shaped the way you approach this concept of just philanthropy? Well, both of us come at this, you and I, from a place of receiving people's generosity. Having mm. led nonprofit organizations, we're on the end where we're asking people to consider lavishly giving away their money for the organizations that we led. And that's really the principle, this idea that just leaders lavishly give away their money. And that word lavishly is intentional. It's meant to show that there's a overwhelming sense of generosity that is part of what it means to be just, that we understand that everything that we have comes from God, and therefore it's really not our own. 
and therefore we can hold it with open hands and be willing to share it with others, which means it's not an issue of how much money you have, whether you fall into this category. This is for all of us, no matter how much or as little as we have, are we people that are willing to be generous and given the measure of what we have, do we lavishly give it away to others? So that brings in a lot of questions about this. Many of the leaders that we work with struggle significantly with how they think about giving away their money. In fact, I had one leader who said, it's easy to make money. It's much more difficult to have money and then give that money away. People feel like they are ATMs, like people only see them as distributors of money. And so they only have people interact with them when they're asking them for money. As a result, people feel used. They feel isolated and alone. They don't know who to trust. If you're just in relationship with me because of my money, or are you in a relationship with me because of who I am? It's difficult for for people to know how, you know, to invest their money in different causes that they care about and how to do that well. They're usually doing it from a reactive point of view than a proactive point of view because they get so many asks and it's for many of them they it's hard for them to say no. So they'll give a little bit to a lot of organizations or people and just feel very dissatisfied and it takes a lot of time and they want their families involved and because it takes time and it's a burden it just becomes actually something that weighs heavily on them rather than being something that is quite energizing life-giving and a way for them to steward all they have to advance god's purposes in the world so there's a lot there, and it doesn't even get to the point where we're asking the question, which is what we ask to our groups, is how much is enough, and what do we do with the rest? Hmm. So we're also having to ask ourselves, you know, what's, what's enough for us in terms of our lifestyle and what we believe are the resources that we need, and then how are we generous with the rest of them? So this hmm. There's a lot of questions in there that, you know, once you unpack, it's like unpacking an onion and there's more to address and therefore we can't take this lightly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've been peeling back those layers for quite a while now. You know, I think I would encourage our listeners if this is the first episode in this series that you, you know, some friend shared it with you, recommended you, you jump in, you know, we dove into how we even view our money and our relationship to money in an earlier episode in this series. I would encourage you to check that one out, several actually. And I think it really sets up this episode so well because, you know, David, in our groups, we talk about this as having principles. Just Philanthropy has principles as a framework and a roadmap to follow. But before it has principles, it has a posture. And I love that that juxtaposition because it's both, right? It's not either or. It's very much a both and. So before we get to the principles, can you just help outline what a just philanthropy posture looks like? 
Well, it's completely centered on our heart and where's our Mm. heart as it relates to giving. There's several scriptures that pull this out. I want to uh, share some of them. First one is from Matthew 23, verse 23, where it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So here's a group of people who's doing everything right. Mm. They're, ten, they're, they're tithing according to the law of giving away their money. Yeah. Yeah. Giving away their money 10%. But they're doing even more than that. They're giving away their spices. <laughs> I, have, I have not done that. You giving away 10% of your salt and pepper there, David? Or my cumin? Are you cumin? <laughs> and not my dill. <laughs> not the good stuff. So, so they're doing everything. Like they're going way beyond. Mm. But God is calling them out through these words that Mm. they've neglected what's most important, justice, Mm. mercy, and faithfulness. So he's calling out their heart, that their heart is not in the right place, that they might be doing all the right things, but they're doing it all for the wrong reasons. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this idea of Jesus giving up everything for us but he does it out of a posture of joy so that when he encourages us to give, and this is in Second Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Hmm. So, and this is the idea of delighting, like you just delight in being someone who gives. And for me, that's hard. Like, I I see it as an obligation. I see it as a burden. Or I see it as something that makes me qualified in God's eyes versus having this deep joy and delight and cheerfulness to be someone who gives. I I think it's so important to start the conversation and, and move from that place when you think about the principles, because, you know, not to, we don't want to embody that first verse you mentioned, right? This idea of Matthew 23 of, you know, the whole point of this episode, if people went away and said, well, I got, I need to give away more money and their hearts were not pricked, right? That I think they've, they've missed the whole point. I think what God cares most about is our heart and a generous heart actually will lead to, you know, you know, you being generous with your wallets, but the other way around is not guaranteed. And so I think that the the true assessment is more of a heart assessment. It's more of a posture assessment on this because we can be giving away our money and still miss the most important things. Just like that verse did such a beautiful job of outlining. So as we shift to the principles, I love that there there's a both and to this because we're not just going to keep it at the heart, but we're going to get practical here. You know, David, can you map out the principles we've, that we talk about in our peer groups when it comes to give us the framework of what this looks like, moving from kind of more of the, the heart space to more of the pragmatic X's and O's? Yeah, so there are five principles that we talk about when we work with our groups around just philanthropy. The first one is treat root causes, not symptoms. 
So it's very important that we understand that we're trying to get after what is at the root of things that are broken in our world. And so if you think about the causes that you care about, what are the root causes that lead to the symptoms that we see? Hmm. Martin Luther King said, philanthropy is commendable, but it must not cause the philanthropist to overlook the circumstances of economic injustice, which make philanthropy even necessary. So the fact that we're even in a place that causes us to give money, we need to understand why we're even in that place and to get to the real issues that are causing the brokenness in our world. That then leads us to number two, which is to activate our work. And when we say that, we're helping people recognize that they can be incredibly generous through their work. It's not just about people going out and making a lot of money and then giving it away to charitable organizations, although that's great, but that's a very limited view of what it looks like to give. There are ways in which we can give within the context of our work and be generous. So as an example, if you look at Jeff Bezos and he has a net worth of $123 billion, if he redistributed all of his profits each year among the staff at Amazon, he could still keep a billion dollars and increase the wages of all of his employees, which are over a million employees, by $16,000 a year. Hmm. Now, we're not disparaging him. I don't want to point him out, but it's just an example of, you know, you can pay your people more as a way to be generous, Hmm. or there are ways in which you can give people maybe time off as a way to be generous or the ways in which you might offer services at no cost or a less cost for particular people as a, as a way to be generous. So you need to think about your work. That's number two. Number three is gets us close that we have to be close to the issue. This is a real posture of, I don't give because you need me. Mm but I give because I need you. And that's a real shift. Most people who are in positions of giving or who are donors are usually approached by an organization because that organization will say, we need you. And so, you know, the person will say, okay, you need me. I've got resources you need. You need my resources or you need my expertise. I'll give you my expertise. And again, all that's okay but it can turn into paternalism where we just are directing people according to the way we believe they should do things or you know we're we're in the position where we have power and we're giving them what we need the right posture is no we get close we get proximate mm. so that we can learn but we also know that we have needs And there are people that we need to rub shoulders with who are on front lines of real issues. They are the experts. Mm. And our life is not complete without them in our lives. Mm. And that is a big difference. So next, number four, we give sacrificially with no strings attached, which builds off of number three. Mm. uh, This idea that we just, we give and we let it go. And try to control it. Yeah. We don't kind of try to control it. 
which again is hard. And we want to make sure people are using it well, but we need to be careful in how much we think about that Hmm. and how much that validates our gift or not, or whether we continue to give. Particularly, and what offsets this is being really close because we understand the messiness of it and usually how solutions are much more long-term than short-term. And so if we're coming at this from a return on investment mentality like we do in business, we're going to miss it more often than not. Hmm. And then finally, principle five, which is we give in community. We give in con- in the context of community. And you see this for sure in Acts 2 where everybody came together and they shared everything and there was no one in need when the first church was coming together after Pentecost. And so when you're in community with people and you are locked arm in arm with one another around the causes that you care about, then you not only can really uh, move the needle and leverage your resources, but you can experience the kind of community that God has designed us for and be in real relationship. So instead of being alone and isolated because people are always coming to you for money, you can be in a group of people who are close, close friends Mm. where they're known and where we're stewarding all of our resources to advance God's work. Mm. I love this. I think think together, both this posture and the principles that you laid out here, David, it's a, it's a pretty challenging roadmap, but it's also a clear one. So when you think about this from a bottom line, there, there's so many different, even each single aspect, I think, needs to be marinated on in its own right. When you think about a bottom line for our listeners on how, they're, how to process this and take away from this episode, what thought do you want to leave for them heading into the season of giving? Yeah, so as you enter into the season, I would ask you, you know, what really is the posture of your giving? Is your heart in the right place? Are you giving with the right motivations? Which principle of the five that we just articulated challenges you the most? Treating root causes, activating your work, getting close, giving with no strings attached, and giving in community. Which one of that is the challenge? Which one do you want to pursue? And what does your spending and giving say about whose kingdom you're building? Are you building God's kingdom or are we building our own kingdoms? And how do we determine what's enough? I think that's a a real question for all of us. That can be a bottom line. How much is enough? How much do we really need? Does that mean I cap my salary? Does it mean I cap the assets that I pursue? I mean, it's going to be different for all of us. And I would, when I ask you that question, I want you not to ask it because you feel guilty. Hmm. I, want, I want you to answer that instead because you feel free. Because you know that everything you have is from God, and you know that fullness comes from us not loving our money or our possessions, but stewarding it and being free with it. And that there's something at the end of that for us, that if we answer that question with freedom, then there's an abundance of life waiting for us at the end. 
Yeah. And I think even not to add an appendix, but go, just throwing back to that fifth principle of the communal nature of this. I mean, even just asking those questions in community can be a powerful exercise in and of itself versus just you in the mirror, right? Maybe starting with the mirror, but not, not staying there. Because I think so much of this, we, we need to let other people in on this journey, whether that's our spouse, right? Whether that's a family member, whether that's a, a close friend, and that probably shouldn't be a lot of people to be authentic, but I think it maybe should include others on this journey to be able to help us ask some hard questions of ourselves and maybe point out some things that maybe we otherwise would not see when it comes back to that very first quality of, of a just leader, right? Of seeing the whole playing field that starts with ourselves. So David, thank you for this. I think this is a, this is a neat, a neat thing to be thinking about ahead of this holiday season as we kick it off here. I can't wait to go check the mailbox to expect my, my pre-Thanksgiving. I think I heard the mailman. So my invitation must, it, it's there. I can't wait. Our listeners are, are really excited for me and I'm, I'm excited as well. So I'll see you at the party. That's right, Rob. We'll see you there. <laughs> All right. Till next time, my friend. To learn more about 1110 Leadership, visit our website at 1110leadership.com. That's the numerals 1-1, then spelled out T-E-N leadership.com. That's 11TENleadership.com. There you'll find more resources to equip you on the journey of becoming an 1110 leader. You can also get connected to our growing leadership network. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. To help others find us, you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.